welcome to our new city. This is the third week that we are looking at a passage uh, from Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans chapter, uh, Romans is a book in the New Testament of the Bible written by a man, Paul. Um, over the past two weeks, we've been looking at this chapter to understand the true nature of Christian hope. We've been seeing that Christian hope is hard work. In the first week, we saw that Christian hope is free, but it is not easy. We saw that Christian hope involves groaning. A pregnant woman groaning in labor is a far more accurate picture of Christian hope than a Barbie doll uh, all dressed up and pretty. In the second week, we saw that Christian hope demands the discipline of biblically faithful imagination. We saw that we are all creatures of imagination. We can uh, either imagine fears and worries and anxieties, or we can imagine the thrill of the res- resurrected, resurrected life. And both of these two sermons in the earlier two weeks emphasized uh, that Christian hope is a discipline. In today's sermon, I'd like to help us see that Christian hope is also a gift. So this is the big idea in today's sermon. Christian hope involves discipline, but it is even more so a gift. Let's go back to the passage we've been looking at these two, these two weeks, and uh, we're going to be looking at the same passage this week as well. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 28. Allow me to read that out for us. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought to freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We saw, uh, this is This is the passage that we saw last week. We saw up until here last week. This week, we're going to focus on the next three verses, verses 26 to 28 of Romans chapter 8. Allow me to read that out for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 onwards. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, himself intercedes for us 
through wordless drones. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is God's word. Allow me to pray for us uh, before we uh, dive into the sermon. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that you have given us, Lord. Because of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, your Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. And this morning we pray, as we come under your word, would your Holy Spirit move in our hearts, every one of our hearts. Spirit of God, we welcome you. Would you minister to us? Would you stir our hearts? Would you help every one of us move into a higher orbit of faith in Christ Jesus? Thank you, Lord. We, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is an incredible promise. This verse is an incredible assurance. But, but let me be honest here. This verse can be an utterly insensitive thing to tell someone who is in deep anguish and suffering. Some time ago, I, I um, heard that uh, a dear friend of mine, his, his son who was in his teens had, had passed away in an accident, in a train accident. And uh, when I heard the news, I, I just rushed to the hospital where uh, I knew he was. And, uh, and as I was going to the hospital, I heard news that his son had passed away. And I was asking, why God? Why God? Why did you allow this? Why did this have to happen? And in my doubts, in my, in my grief, I, I could still remember this verse. That in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. I reached the hospital and uh, this friend of mine had just been to the morgue to identify his son. He had just seen the dead, lifeless body of his son. And he had just come out of the morgue and I had just arrived. And all I did was I went and I hugged him. I wept and he wept. We wept and we wept. As we wept, I knew this verse to be true. And I knew that he knew this verse to be true. But I did not quote this verse to him. We just wept. You do not straight away throw this verse to someone who is in deep suffering. We're all in day 26 of the lockdown in India. Some of our jobs are at stake. Some of us have taken pay cuts. Some of us are really afraid for our parents and our loved ones. Maybe we have someone who's been afflicted by this virus. Some of us are struggling with loneliness. Some of us are angry and frustrated and Maybe some of us have been fighting with our loved ones in the frustration of the lockdown at home. Some of us are anxious for the future because we've seen our savings and investments, investments being wiped out. 
And it will be utterly insensitive for me to throw this verse at you and say, don't worry, God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him. It will be insensitive in the light of the grief and the pain and the trouble that we are all enduring today. This verse is one of the greatest and the most comforting truths in the Bible, but we should not preach it insensitively, both to others or even to ourselves. And so I'd like to draw two things for us from this passage. First, how does God preach this verse to us? And second, how should we preach this verse to ourselves and others? How does God preach this amazing truth to us? And how should we preach it to ourselves and to others? Those are the two things we're going to be looking at this morning. First, how God preaches this verse to us. How does God preach this verse to us? This morning, I'd like to invite us to see this from this passage. We see in this passage that God does not quote this verse to us without first deeply empathizing with our suffering. The passage we just read presents a crescendo of groaning in frustration. Verse 22 tells us that all creation is groaning out of frustration in the present brokenness. Verse 23 says that we ourselves are groaning as we wait for our adoption and for the redemption of these weak and fragile bodies. And verse 26 tells us that God's Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that are too deep for words. So creation is groaning, Christians are groaning, and above all, God's Holy Spirit is groaning. All creation groans, all Christian groans, and the Holy Spirit groans. All three are groaning, longing for the redemption of the world and for the perfection to come. In this passage, God is walking us through and he's helping us see three layers or three degrees of groaning. We now live in a world which is familiar with groaning. Even a couple of months ago, we were all too busy working ourselves to fatigue or numbing ourselves with pleasure or just too indifferent to see the decay of the present world. We were too busy or too comfortable to groan for the perfect and beautiful world to come when Christ comes again. But the COVID-19 crisis has yanked us all out of our busyness and out of our comfort. The coronavirus, that tiny little thing that we can't even see with our eyes, with our naked eyes, has made us all familiar with groaning. We are groaning. Healthcare workers are groaning. Governments are groaning. Presidents and prime ministers are groaning. All creation is groaning. And we are all familiar with groaning. I'd really like us to notice something here. I would really like us to wrestle with something from this passage. All creation is groaning. We get that. We are groaning. We get that. But why is God's Holy Spirit groaning? 
Why is the Holy Spirit groaning? The Holy Spirit is God himself. Why is God groaning? One Bible commentator answered this question beautifully, and I like to quote him verbatim. Into our suffocating prison of sorrow, God sends his breath, his Holy Spirit to help us. We may suffer, but we will not be alone. But more than this, God's gentle spirit tenderly searches our hearts. He does not ask us to explain our pain in lofty prayers. He does not expect us to make all sorts of confessions. He does not require us to put our request into words. We don't even know what to pray for when we are broken. But the Spirit of God goes to our damaged hearts and searches them. What we cannot express or reveal, the Spirit finds. And what does he find? He finds our fears. There in the dark, damaged interiors of our hearts, the Spirit sees our wounds. There he sees our hearts torn and the tenderness and the fragility of our true selves. He searches and he sees. And you know what he does? The Holy Spirit of God sits down, as it were, in the corner of our hearts, looks around at the overwhelming damage, takes a deep breath, and begins to groan. He does not classify or define our condition. He does not explain to us why. He does not rationalize our suffering. He does not tell us how to improve, nor does he chastise us for not having enough faith. He does not demand we snap out of it. Or he does not condemn us for feeling guilty or for feeling bad. No, the Spirit of God sits in our wounded hearts and breaks the isolation of our sorrow with a groaning so deep that the melancholy music of whose moan would melt the sky should it dare to listen. Do you know of any other God except Jesus who is so familiar with suffering that he can empathize with us so well and so closely and so meaningfully? Think about it this way. If you imagine yourself sitting in the dark room of intense suffering, the Holy Spirit does not come impersonally, turn on the light of the dark room and go on his way. No, the Holy Spirit finds the darkest corner of the room you are lying in. He comes down and he lays down next to you and he groans. Groans with you, he groans for you and not just us. Not just that, where your groans, where our groans may take us away from God and deeper into our sins and shame and suffering, his groans gently leads us into the light and towards the sweet presence of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. He is the one true friend who will never allow you to isolate 
yourself in the depressing dark room of faithlessness and hopelessness. He will sit with you. He will groan with you. He will groan for you. This groaning of the Holy Spirit is God partnering with man in the fellowship of pain. We ask, is the Holy Spirit groaning? The groaning of the Holy Spirit is God partnering with man in the fellowship of our pain and suffering. That's why the Holy Spirit is groaning. He is groaning with us in fellowship, intimate, meaningful fellowship with our pain. And that is why Jesus called the Holy Spirit our comforter or our helper. It is only after he groans with us, it is only after he prays for us in ways we are incapable of praying for ourselves. It is only after grieving with us and groaning with us that the Holy Spirit leads us to the realization that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. The Holy Spirit knows beyond any doubt, beyond all things, the, know, the Holy Spirit knows absolutely well that all things are working together for the good of those who love him. But he does not bring that revelation to us without first groaning with us, without first fellowshipping with us in our pain and our suffering. This is true empathy. This is divine empathy. You know, there is this continuum, there is this uh, um, um, uh, paradigm of empathy versus solution. Empathy is just, just caring for someone in the moment of pain. Empathy is, is just feeling that person's pain. In empathy, we're not solving the person's problem. We're just fellowshipping with that person in his or her pain. That's empathy. And their solution, solution is solving a problem. And I want to invite us to see the way the Holy Spirit is bringing both empathy and solution to our problem, to our pain, to our suffering. Generally, in our world, in the world that we know, the more powerful a person, the less empathy he is able to show. The less powerful a person, the more empathy he's able to show or she's able to show. But the more powerful a person, the more capacity he has to bring forth a solution. The less powerful a person, the less capacity he has to bring forth a solution. So imagine you're the CEO of your company. He may not show much empathy to you, but he or she can bring a solution. He or she has a power to bring a solution. So the higher a person, the more powerful a person, the greater the ability to bring solution, but lesser the empathy. I want to invite us to see this God of the Bible, the most powerful person in all universe, and yet he shows empathy. We worship a God. In Jesus, we have a God who can not just solve our problems, but who takes the effort, who takes the, who cares for us, cares for us enough to 
empathize with us first before solving our problem. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in this passage when he is groaning with us. The three verses that we are looking at today, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 28, these three verses are constructed beautifully. Verse 28 says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. The word know here is not a statement of intellectual fact. The word know here implies a deep spiritual and emotional and even intellectual experience. You see, the Holy Spirit first groans with us. He first groans for us. And then after the Holy Spirit has groaned for us, then the passage says that we know that all things are working for the good of those who love God. This is not a knowing that is taught in a classroom. This is not a knowing that is taught in a Bible study or even in a sermon. This is a knowing that is birthed through a man or woman's intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit on the road of intense suffering. This is not a statement of fact that is insensitive pain of present suffering, not at all. This is a joyful revelation that the Holy Spirit leads each of us to by fellowshipping with us through the groaning of suffering. You see, that's the first thing that I wanted to draw out for us from the passage. How does God preach this verse to us? God preaches this verse to us only after groaning with us and also groaning for us. And, and praying for us, interceding for us to make up for all that are groaning, all that our groaning was unable to accomplish. This is the greater groaning, the groaning of the Holy Spirit on our behalf, the groaning of God himself on our behalf. This is the greater groaning. The Holy Spirit, the groaning of the Holy Spirit for us, for our sake, is not the first time that God groaned for men and women. The groaning of the Spirit on behalf of men and women is only an echo of the groaning of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as he lay there hanging on the cross, dying for our sins. Jesus groaned in unimaginable agony as he lay hanging on the cross, bearing the just and furious punishment of God for all of your sins and mine. Imagine the entire pain and entire suffering and entire agony of the entire world all heaped on one man, all heaped on one man in one moment. All in one moment. That is what the Father did to his beloved Son, Christ Jesus, on the cross. The Son obediently went to the cross to bear the punishment for each of our sins. And God poured out his just wrath for all of our sins upon his Son, Christ Jesus. And Jesus groaned. 
the groaning of the spirit brings what Jesus did for us nearer to our hearts. The groaning of the spirit brings the gospel nearer to our hearts. When the spirit groans for us, when the spirit groans with us, we are also reminded of the groaning of the son as he purchased our pardon with his death on the cross. And that brings us to the second thing that I like to draw for us from the passage. How should we preach this verse to ourselves and, and even to others? Let's admit it. We're all in a season where we need this truth to be preached a hundred times every day. I kind of made it through this week without too much sorrow or fear. But the week before that uh, was bad for me. I was afraid. I was confused. I was anxious. I was worried. And, And the week before last, I needed to see the beauty of this promise a million times. I needed to feel the power of this promise a million times last week. We have only one sermon every week. We have only one hope group every week. And we have only one 30-minute call in the morning and one 30-minute call in the evening when we pray together as a community. But what about the fears and anxieties and grief that we are all facing in this lockdown at all the other times during these days? So we need to learn to preach this verse to ourselves. We need to learn to preach this verse to our souls. We need to experience the Holy Spirit beside us. We need to experience the Holy Spirit groaning for us. We need to experience the Holy Spirit praying for us in a way we can never pray for ourselves. So how do we grow in this experience? How do I experience the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit just a theological construct? Or is he a real person? Is he a real friend? Is he a real counselor? comforter. This passage tells us how we can indeed experience the Holy Spirit in this personal, intimate way. The answer is right at the beginning of the passage we're looking at today. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. If we indeed desire to experience the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit, we may experience him only in our weakness. This verse spells out that the Holy Spirit is available to us only in our weakness. We've all felt weak and helpless in this lockdown. But the question is, have we remained in that sense of weakness and vulnerability for more than a fleeting moment? Have we remained in the feeling of weakness and helplessness long enough to groan? Or have we rushed to distract ourselves with with eight hours of Netflix or more in a day? 
have we remained in that sense of feet, feel that sense of weakness and vulnerability long enough to groan, or have we rushed to distract ourselves with cleaning the house or cleaning the cleaning the desk or with endless mindless Zoom calls? Have we just tried to get rid of this feeling of weakness and vulnerability by working harder, by striving harder, by making more work? by taking on more work in the businesses that we run or the companies that we work for. Have we dwelt, have we remained even for a moment in this weakness or have we covered it up quickly with mindless distractions? I suspect that our rhythm in the lockdown has been fear followed by Netflix or fear followed by work or in my case, fear followed by ministry or fear followed by food. We have been, we have all been trying myself first, trying to find quick fix solutions so that we can forget our weakness so that we can cover up our weakness. You see, if we are not going to pause long enough to feel our weakness and groan, How on earth can we experience the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit groaning for us? And yet, this is exactly the wrong posture we all take. We we don't stop to feel our pain and grief and weakness and groan. Sadly, we are all cowards. We are afraid of facing up to our weakness and grief. So at the first experience of our weakness, we, we distract ourselves with a thousand inconsequential pleasures or endeavors. And then we expect the Holy Spirit to intercede for us with groans. I pointed out to the crescendo of groaning earlier in the passage. Three degrees or three layers of groaning. Creation is groaning. Christians are groaning. And the Holy Spirit is groaning. Biblically, this is a linear sequence. The brokenness of the world around us. The broken must be acknowledged. We must ourselves begin to groan to God in our weakness before we can personally and intimately experience the Holy Spirit groan for us. On the other hand, if, if you're going to put up a pretense of strength, or if you're, going to be, if you're going to just distract ourselves away from our weakness and fear and grief, if you're not going to remain in and look to God in that, we cannot experience the Holy Spirit groaning for us. In that moment, in our weakness, as we groan, as we experience the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit groaning for us, it is in that moment that we will know that all things are working for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This is how the Holy Spirit gives us the gift of hope. He births the gift of hope in our hearts as we groan in God's presence and as he groans for us. To receive this gift of hope, to enjoy this gift of hope, we do need to acknowledge and face our grief and our weaknesses. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. 
if we pretend that we are not weak or we run away from our weakness, we're going to miss out on the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit. The sweet presence of the Holy Spirit and the gift of hope is possible only for those who have the courage to remain and grow in their weakness and their pain in the presence of God. As we acknowledge our weaknesses, as we acknowledge our fears and anxieties in God's presence, we will experience the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit with us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a gospel for strong people. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel for weak people. Are we weak enough to receive God's grace? Or are we going to pretend to be strong and reject God's grace? The Holy Spirit helps us only in our weakness. Our weakness is the only thing that the Holy Spirit needs to birth hope in our hearts. Our weakness and faith in Christ Jesus. This is the gift of hope. It is free. We receive it by acknowledging our weakness before God, not by hiding it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that um, we don't have to be strong. We don't have to prove ourselves to you or to anyone or even to ourselves. We just need to come in our weakness, in our fears, in our grief, into your presence to receive and enjoy, Lord, your Holy Spirit, the sweet fellowship of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray, even as we've come under your world, free us. Would you free every one of us, Lord, inclinations to distract ourselves in our weakness for our uh, uh, lack of courage and not facing our fears in God's presence. Would you free us, Lord, from this wrong sinful pattern of, of, of running away from our weakness and not facing our weakness in God's presence? Would you free us from this, that we might groan in a godly manner, that we might learn to lament in a godly manner in God's presence? And as we learn to do that, experience the Spirit of God beside us, groaning for us and birthing hope in our hearts and bringing us to the realization that all things are working for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.